0: Library, the Dean and EJ is PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean. And we are The Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it, buy it, books. Books. What's it all about then? Well, I'm more worried about do you know the catchphrase because we had some difficulty with you uh, in a forest.
1: <laughs> That's okay, right. I was getting very confused between get it, buy it, sell but it, book books.
0: Read it. Enjoy, read it, but no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it's all very confusing. You see, I think part of the confusion stems from the fact that I'm still looking at the toilet section of the supermarket and between the tooth floss and the toothpaste, I've been looking for Dante's complete works. And all I could find was literally hell. And I thought I was in purgatory and heaven was nowhere in sight. So I was very confused. Hmm. Anyone can help me find Dante's uh, works of, of great art. Uh, maybe it's in a fruit section. Maybe it's considered very fruity. I don't know. Not, I can't find it in the old supermarkets. And it's, I thought it's that's difficult where to, to
0: ascertain, it's it's uh, it's whereabouts. Where is Dante hanging out?
1: Where is he? I think that could be the, the catchphrase of the month. So that's the that's the dilemma. <laughs> how, how have you, Dean? Apart from the the forest wanderings, and should we I'm tell good. the Yes
0: yeah, we so so the... we'll tell them. Yeah, so us yeah. and also uh, Playboy Alex from our our Shakespeare show on Patreon. We all went, uh, had a nice little day in uh, Newcastle on the beach and in the forest. Nice. Now, there was one point where you were washing your hair in the river, Alex was up a tree, and I was doing inappropriate things with a belt. And I don't know what it's, was sure. happening
1: there. I'm not sure where it went. It went a bit um, <laughs> risque, I thought. Or, yeah, I wasn't sure what kind of playboy this was supposed to be. You know what I mean? I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, well, no, it was getting a little bit... Passersby were confused.
1: And it was Newcastle, not very confusingly. It wasn't Newcastle in England where I thought I been heading yeah. with the bus. So it was all very spontaneous. I wasn't expecting to join them, but it happened uh, to, to just uh, all flow very naturally. And it was a very Shakespearean day. I, it, it sounds like a joke, but we literally were talking about Shakespeare about 80% of the time. It, it sounds Yeah, we did. We did. Um,
0: people on the bus did not like us
1: no i don't very surprisingly <laughs> they did not seem to appreciate the free and live episode of books boys slash playboys we were they were getting so. free content they should be paying our ticket for that talking about free content almost free content they're paying a minimal fee why don't you sign up for a total of
0: i believe is it how many 73 episodes uh, at the moment, on patreon.com dot slash Books there are more than eighty. Uh, it was eighty four, and wow. um, plus now this is a new episode, and there's probably been something else since then. I've forgotten about. So, like, <laughs> yeah, by the end of this month, it's going to be ninety probably. You know, by wow. by the time the next episode comes out. So, and we have
1: reviewed a few uh, plays as well. Uh, in fact, the uh, the Playboys got together, the three of us, and reviewed Henrik Ibsen's Adult House, and yeah. also Dean and I t- teamed up, and we did J C. Not Jesus Christ. The other one, Julius Caesar. The other one, Julius Caesar. That's right. So, those are both
0: coming out soon as well. So, join
1: us for some amazing, almost free content for I believe only £3.50
0: or is it £2.50 or $3. $3. Uh, I guess that's about three euros. You get um, this show early and you also get all of our other shows, Playboys, there's some Film Fellows, Poetry Pals, Caper Captains. There's so much different stuff on there. As we said, there's almost 90 episodes of various different things. And um, uh, rock star interviews that I did with musicians. You know, there's lots of stuff on there.
1: And very importantly, the GC is coming up for Shakespearean, uh, well, for anyone who's doing the Leaving Cert. And, I, and I'm just, if you're looking for some free content, not, again, sorry, keep saying free because it's almost free. $3, uh, $3. It is almost free. Like, if it was any
0: cheaper, we'd be paying you. That's. Anyway
1: keeping that in mind we did review the four plays that are being or the five plays that are being reviewed for we did the four the four that were
0: on the a level and we also did a couple of others that are sometimes on gcse so if you're studying shakespeare in school in the uk we've probably covered the material that you need
1: because i think we have now 14 of shakespeare's plays reviewed uh, including almost all of the big ones and some Minor ones as well
0: i mean just let me give you an example of april alone we we released uh, books boys 18 and obviously that came out early interviews from the vault with a nice little band called walking for pennies we did poetry Pals 3 because i did a little bit about um, miguel hernandez extra renaissance renaissance 2 the jew of malta because we wanted to compare it with um, the Merchant of Venice. So that we also did Playboys Twelve, The Merchant of Venice.
1: And that was our second Marlowe play. We did the more famous one, Doctor Faustus. Um, we did last year a while back.
0: Then we also have the last episode of Dark Place Dreamers with Robert. We reviewed the final episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place with the cool song in it. If you want to see Moss from the IT Crowd rapping, um, you can get it there. So we did a we did a lot. I also, Film Fellows Machete with Robert and Alex. So. Like, this was seven episodes this month alone, guys. <laughs> and not just to mention that, but we have got uh, tons
1: tons of stuff uh, to review this month. It's been a very uh, big, big one for me. I've read more than usual. Um, should we get straight to what, what, what? I've got a lot of things
0: to tell you that I haven't previously mentioned that I think okay. Be interested in it. But I thought we were going to host first uh, Dentistry Pals, because you you were brushing your teeth before we went on air, right? Indeed, I was brushing my teeth because that's what the cool (laughs) kids do. They brush teeth before the actual time. He's very worried that, yeah, we couldn't talk on the Zoom without clean... We don't even have the video turned on, but we couldn't do audio without uh, clean teeth. So, it's it's, it's our latest sponsor. Indeed. (laughs) We're sponsored by uh, our our good clean teeth.
1: (laughs) Exactly, yes. Oh, Lord. So where to begin, Dean? Uh, should I go first this time? Because I've got something... Go ahead. To Take it away. Well, um, last time we were, I was talking about... Um, I was talking about Carol Churchill. So again, Carol Churchill being a, a big feminist playwright from the UK. He started writing... He started writing essentially uh, in the 50s, actually, but really became big in the late 70s, 80s, especially his top growths so of 1982, which is the one where it has a lot of historical female figures some very feminist some very repressed by by men on uh, joining and in this one amazing play uh, so i decided to um read more of her because i really enjoyed her um play and so i read the 2000s play far away now far away is a shorter play it has only four characters harper young Joanne, Joanne as an adult and todd Essentially, the whole play is a um, very visual play about what a dystopian England could be like, and, or a dystopian UK, I would say, a bit more general, um, with a lot of the Holocaust being replayed in a different, with different visuals, I would say. So essentially it starts off in Harper's Kitchen, and she is Joanne's aunt. And Joanne enters and she's, she's late in the night and she tells step by step what she has seen throughout the night. And Harper, the aunt, is telling her is kind of inventing the story as it goes, but changing it as Joanne tells what well, I've seen blood. Oh, that was just someone who felt then was well, I, I, I hear screams Oh, that was just the, the night owls or something. And essentially it ends up that it, What it seems to be, but we're left very confused because the story is constantly re-edited. That's what I find interesting about the play. The story is re-edited constantly by what Harper hears about Joanne telling. Mm -hmm. And essentially it seems to be that Harper and her husband seem to be um, hiding refugees. Um, And take into consideration this is 2000. So it's before really a a lot of the refugees (laughs) Of the, of the last 22 years' prices. But I suppose it might be might be influenced by Yugoslavian, uh, the Yugoslavian war in the early 90s. But essentially, it's so vague that it could be anything. That's why it's a great play. You could turn it and talk about Ukraine now. Um, it seems to be that Harper and her husband are protecting these in the barn, but it's left to some confusion, really. And you're not really trusting her because in the end, it seems to be that Joanne also hears one of the kids being beaten to death and all that Harper has to say at the end is simply that well you know kids that don't behave they get naughty things happening to mm-hmm. them so essentially once again like Top Girls is a very visceral play um, that's left it's very bloody it's very messy and, and Top Girls without getting into it too much there is a later scene in it where a young girl has her period and she's kind of comparing it with another girl and to be honest it's just very visceral it's very it's, it, and again, this play shows it's very bloody. It's very much about themes that um, that you don't really want to even, I suppose, see or talk about blood being a big thing just like yeah. here. It moves on without spoiling too much about the further acts. Um, I would say that that's act one, sets the scene, but act two onwards, we've got Joanne being an adult and she's now a big hat maker. But essentially, this is all just a big farce because she's a hat maker that just makes hats and hats and hats. And it's it all becomes like a bit of a farce. She ends up making a million hats. And that's what right. was doing in her life. And she's talking with Todd, who's a co-worker. And it's just them. And eventually they actually end up being married and just making hats. It becomes very absurd. So this is where I think Dean, you might maybe perhaps not enjoy it so much because you're not a, you're not the biggest fan of Beckett. You're not the biggest fan of Waiting for Godot. That's, yeah, rare. that's
0: one way to say it, yeah.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And um, just so you know, listeners, that be- that was an episode that was never released because I'm afraid me and Alex didn't get a chance <laughs> to... We we, read, we both loved Waiting for Godot and it ended up only Dean reading it at the time. And I hated it, so and I was, so I was we swindled. Just, <laughs> we just didn't do the episode, but, you know, in a parallel universe. It becomes very Beckett-esque, and and the hats are used for parade, but ends up being when the parade happens, which is just a visual, just uh, it's just I think it's scene five. Scene five has no dialogue. It's just a million people or as many people as fit in into the scene, uh, marching, but they look like prisoners, and they seem to be judged, and they're wearing the hats that are very colorful and playful, but they're kind of, it's implied that they might be burned, like and killed so very um so a lot of world war two um scenarios here look I won't lie to you this is not a very this is not a very light play as you, as you hear it's not this is not a cheery I'm it's pretty yeah heavy yeah it's it's extremely heavy and uh, I'm not going to tell you what act uh, scene six is um of act two sorry or act three, but I want to leave it like that. all I can say is that i I think what's powerful about the play is Carol Churchill she's a great um she's great with with language, not in the sense of that she might use kind of very loquacious words, but the way she just experiments around and makes it sound, she's more of a poet, and particularly in the last scene where everything culminates into a big... Um, oh, it becomes very it becomes very brutal in Act 3. It becomes very, the most dystopian scene in it, so I won't tell you what it is, but it essentially becomes a dialogue between should I, should I betray and save myself or should I... Uh, should I... Uh, should I keep the secret to myself, but risk my own life? And essentially, the whole play was called "Far Away." is um, is about things happening seemingly far away, and you trying to keep stay in your house and be unaware of it, but it literally comes knocking at your door. The the horror, of right? So you, you
0: can't even just keep to yourself and avoid things. It's
1: indeed yes, and that's on point. So I should have mentioned Harper. Uh, the ant lives far far away in the countryside. That's how it begins, but literally the horrors are so close by and they're just accumulating that no one is able to escape this dystopian society. And it's a very interesting, vague depiction of dystopian UK. And I think that's what's powerful about it because it doesn't have to be UK anymore. It can be anything. It can turn about Ukraine, Russia.
0: Yeah, once, kind of... once you get into dystopia, you know, the setting isn't really that important. It reflects Indeed. on any society, you know.
1: Indeed, yeah. So um, it's a it's a powerful play. I, I think I prefer Top growth. Um, the only thing I say about Far Away, it's more of a visual play. I think I prefer to see it, whereas Top Girls is very enjoyable to read. It had more stories in it, in a sense. Had many stories in it. This is just one long, kind of Holocaust. So very difficult to read, I suppose. Um, so that's what that's the first play I right? read. Um, so re- again, I recommend Card showjo for anyone is interested in feminist uh, theater. Please do give it a try. Mm-hmm yeah good what why were you, you soft in what did you well, read I first... i'm going for by the way so that was the first thing i read yeah yeah that's how
0: I, i'm gonna do it the first yeah. thing i read was another balzac and um, there is a trend here basically my library membership to the university library runs out soon and i'm trying to get oh. all the balzacs i can so that's why there's been a lot lately and there'll be more next Whatever. month and then it'll be finished <laughs>
1: Well, uh, so you know, you know, the guy wrote so much that he's, uh, I think he's one of the most prolific authors ever. He yeah. supposedly, he supposedly started to re- uh, write, he got up at around six o'clock in the evening, got his coffee and wrote and drank coffee all night to six o'clock in the morning and then fell asleep. And that was the first 50 years of his life. I'm not sure if I told you this. And when he became 50, he fell in love with a Polish noblewoman. He fell in love with her a while ago, but they only got married after after her husband passed on and some years. So when he was 50, they last got married. And he seemed to really be living the life and, let, you know, letting go of that just obsessive drinking yeah. coffee in poverty, kind of in poverty as well, even though he was a known author. He never seemed to hold on to money. And only in the last year of his life did he find love and then die at 51. I, I find it very, both tragic and also beautiful that he managed to at least have one year of beauty in his life. But um it just shows him, you, you know, being a great author and writing many books is not, you know, if it leads to a life, a lifestyle of drinking coffee and staying in your bed, kind of all night just writing. I'm not, I'm not sure if I want that either. You know.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that that last year could be the only good one, maybe that he has. <laughs> you know, which is a little <laughs> bit sad. But
1: yeah, I bet, because yeah, he found true love. Anyway, that's my little, little anecdote about Balzac. So well, what,
0: what, the one I is- read, uh, it's, it's it's obviously part of the human comedy. It's scenes from private yeah. life. It's called Lost Illusions. Do you know no, this I've one? Heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. So, look, I last month I wasn't really keen on the Balzac that I read, but this mm. one I loved. This it's, is okay. It's it's brilliant. Obviously, it's your standard um, Parisian setting, but we begin out in the provinces. Um, mm. So the book's split up, and the first part is called Two Poets." So, and,
1: and should we just mention to listeners again? If you follow our episode, you know, but uh, the human uh, comedy is a play on again dante's divine comedy so funny i reference that. yeah but it's essentially a realism it's it's essentially a realistic um depiction of parisian and around paris lifestyle um you know like early early 19th century to maybe 1830 40s so am i right about this Am I?
0: yeah right? yeah and you know the copy i had was very old and it, it what made me sad was you, they, they took you can see in the beginning of the library book you know how many stamps it's got and what date it's due back you Now, they stopped using that ar- about around ten to fifteen years ago oh, but no, between no. the fifties and two thousand you know the early two thousands the book was yeah. only taken out four times what
1: <laughs> just oh, very no. sad oh my god.
0: That's very sad. So anyway,
1: you, you made it back a trend, hopefully after this. Hopefully after this episode, this will become a, the next bestseller after. It is, I
0: think so. The latest I, Tom Clancy to novel. So Indeed. basically, these two poets, we have David Sechard and his friend um, Lucien Chardon. Now, hmm. David's father owns a, a printing business, but he's old and he's selling the business to his son, David. And he immediately sets his son up for failure by selling the business for a lot more than it's worth not helping him with anything and then like leasing it back to him at like exorbitant prices. So he really just sets his son up for failure immediately. And the dad's very, very selfish throughout the the play, uh, the book. Um, Lucian, however, is just this, you know, quixotic, beautiful, reminds me a little bit of um, Dorian Gray. He's just Mm -hmm. this captivating, beautiful character. And Mm -hmm. his friend realizes, look, I'm going to hire you to be my foreman. And will help you out to we'll give you a bit of a wage, and you're just so beautiful that I'm going to be subservient to you. That's the natural order of things, even though you know I'm the boss. And I thought, well, yeah, look, I can, I can understand this, you know. And then he falls in love with Lucian's uh, sister, and the two of them decide, let's get married, but let's do it for Lucian. Like he's so great, and the sister worships him as well. So they just say, let's just give him all our money. Like let's let's have a house just for him. He can't be a foreman anymore. That's not good enough. We need to get him into society. So. They just work hard and basically just to support Lucien's lifestyle. And he's just going to like grand salons with, with a, a girl, um, Louise, who's a, you know, a, a rich lady. And he's trying to impress all the high society. And then she says to him, well, let's go to Paris. So he has to abandon his friends, doesn't even go to his friend and sister's wedding because he has to go to Paris with Louise and he just fleeces them for all their money. He's like, look, guys, I need thousands of francs in order to go to Paris. And they just give him everything they have. And then he writes to them while he's in Paris, asking for more money. He falls in mm. with crowds, you but know. So
1: far, it's a very... So far, it seems to be recycling the the story of uh, Le Père Goriot, Goriot There's because, there's because similarities, yeah. Goriot is the he's taking care of his of his daughters and paying everything he can so they can live a high lifestyle while he's poor. Yeah, it it's it is
0: similar. Uh, obviously, it's it's not the paternal relationship; it's a friend yeah. one, but it's the same. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And he also takes it so far as to forge his friend's name on some checks. Oh, no. And the friend doesn't even mind. He's just like, yeah, but we need to support this beautiful man, you know? Wow. And he ends up in prison over it and everything. Like, it's ridiculous. And this guy is just so, these people are so loving, so caring. And he is just so selfish throughout the entire book. This is, again, this is for
1: me very much, uh, 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 yo Old man, or old uh, that Gorio, in a sense, because the the daughters were very selfish too. They didn't really seem to care at all that he was in dire poverty.
0: Interesting. No, they didn't. And there's these other publishers called the Quantets who are trying to put David out of business. And what they do is they completely monopolize the trade, but they give him just enough work to keep him not going bankrupt. Because if he goes bankrupt, someone better might come in, you know, who can run the business better and and put them out of business. So they they basically give him just 5% of the available work, just enough to keep him thinking that he can run the business without, you know, and put a bit of bread on the table, basically, Mm. uh, while they make all the real money. And his father Mm. doesn't help him. He even goes to his father to say, I'm going to get married. And the first thing is, you're not getting any money. But the father is actually mega rich. And he sees the business struggling, knowing that he caused it and just doesn't Mm. care. And he actually oh. says at one point, I wish I could disinherit you without harming your wife or my newborn grandson. Like he just has so little respect for his son uh, well, for, okay. for no reason. The son never does anything wrong. Well, okay. Wow. Wow. And- so there's a, there's a, is, the, is the
1: later half of the book very tragic, like in the sense, again, of all that Gorio?
0: Bits of it are, yeah. I mean, David starts to try to invent a better way of printing that he thinks, this is near the end, he he tries to invent a better way of printing that he thinks will make him money. And, you know, his dad doesn't even support him. And the the Quintet, it's it's terrible. And there's a lot of legal maneuvering by crafty lawyers. But the, the massive middle part of the book is all taken up with Lucien in Paris. So as soon as he arrives, Louise immediately abandons him. And now he's just in Paris. He's begging money off everyone. He falls in with, you know, with a good crowd and with a bad crowd. He becomes Mm. a journalist and starts writing articles, criticizing people and becomes a very well-known, you know, semi-famous journalist. He's very successful, falls in love with an actress. But just the selfishness of everyone is ridiculous, you know? Mm. And obviously, well, I'm not going to say what happens in the end, but you almost don't want it to work out well for him. Because he's just swindling his friends, his sister, like his mother, like everyone just to... To get money, and when he does get to paris all he cares about is like, do I have the finest clothes? Can I be a dandy? Can I stroll around? Mm. And he's trying to sell a poetry book and a book called "An Archer of Charles the Ninth." So he's written some kind of Dumas-style history (laughs) that he's trying to sell, and you know, no one wants it. And he realizes he can only get it sold if he's, you know, if he does corruption. So he has to publish articles that threaten the publisher and they say well i'll mm. stop it i'll stop it if you publish my book and all this kind of stuff you know it's just uh, it's just all corruption and he's shocked but we see him gradually get corrupted you know but that's, we, we just, very, very that's, very that's very that's very
1: bowser. that's very buzzer i guess because, uh, you know the big thing um the big thing really what the things that were happening at the time they seemed very amazing but i mean if you think about a tabloid news that's incredible too you would you wouldn't think necessarily that what I'm saying is that I think people in 50 years and they'd be reading some kind of book we wrote and, and we were just basing it on tabloid news. They'd also think like, that's just fiction. I know not, that's nonsense, you know, but it isn't. There's, it's supposed to be realism. It's supposed to be realistic enough. Uh, things happening behind the scene read that in romantic periods you wouldn't necessarily depict or in any other kind of period. So realism really, really is trying to take um, the kind of Hobbes view of man is a wolf to man. Uh, uh, of people and really portraying that
0: yeah there's two important things i left out number one um the father also swindles david of his inheritance from his mother pretends that there was none but there was actually a lot um and number two they did (laughs) they give us a discussion about the history of printing but they only Hmm. pass three pages they don't follow the anacredna method
1: oh no that's the point is it's it's not like a history no
0: it's not uh, oh, sorry, which is surprising, know? you know. So Lucien discovers that although he's just Lucien Chardon, his mother's branch of the family were previously aristocratic, the du Ribonpré. Re- yeah. So he starts just giving himself this name that he's not really legally entitled to use and tries to get himself on in society. Um, but it's, it's just all, it's all him caring about himself. and We watch him get corrupted. And guess who steps in is a certain Rastignac from Old Goriot. Oh, he appears in a small role. And when, when Lucian goes to the theater and the opera and tries to set himself up, it's Rastignac who starts insulting him and joking about him and tearing him back down in front of everyone.
1: But he's famous for being, I think, one of the most
0: um, uh, portrayed characters in the whole human yeah. comedy. Uh, I've only come read Old Gorio before with him in it, and I thought he was getting corrupted. But in that book, he's a good person. But we see now book. what's happened later,
1: you know. I've heard it. Oh, I literally have a, a little lamb here coming up to me, um, guys. I'm in the countryside. Interesting. I heard some bleating. <laughs> nah, nah come, here, come here. I think he has his opinions about Balzac. What, what do you think about Balzac? He's turning his back to Balzac. That's very disappointing.
0: No, I, I'm disappointed by that. I, I expected better he from literally the walking away lamb. Now.
1: I thought so, yes, indeed. Yeah, but I think the corruption in Balzac is too much
0: for a little lamb's heart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to close it with a quote. This is the moment when he gets to Paris and his mistress abandons him. What would you say, Madame, of a woman who takes a fancy to a poor, timid child, full of that noble faith that men later call illusions, and who used all her feminine graces, all her arts, and a fine display of maternal love to lead that child away? The rosy promises, the card houses that so enchanted him, cost her nothing. She leads him away, she takes possession of him, now scolding him for his want of confidence, now flattering him. When the child finally leaves his family and follows her blindly, she leads him to the shore of a vast sea, persuades him with a smile to set foot in a frail skiff, and sends him forth alone, without succour, to face the storm. Then from the rocks where she remains, she laughs and wishes him good luck. You are that woman, I am that child." Well. he then so the, the, the reason it's called lost illusions is twofold it's his lost illusions with life in Paris because he originally just thinks if I write a good book it'll get published and I'll be successful you know he's yeah. not trying to be a bad person but it's also everyone else's lost illusions about him his yeah. sister eventually realizes that he's not really a good person his friend never does definitely. his friend sticks with him to the end but his sister realizes he's just a selfish person and he's just here to fleece us Wow, okay. So, awesome. yeah, it's interesting.
1: Okay, well, it sounds very deep. Uh, do you would like to read it? Uh, would you say though it's as good as Au Gorio?
0: Well, I think yes, it is as good, but okay, it okay. didn't make me cry the way Gorio did. So, maybe uh, that's because Gorio was my first, though.
1: Well, Gorio, as well, you see, listeners, uh, has a huge kind of very almost theatrical, as Alex agreed, ending. Um, um, you know. I'm sorry, I think you agree. Sorry, yeah. actually that it was a very theatrical ending of like 50 pages of like just mourning, kind of you know, being a father unloved by a daughter. So it's very dramatic. So I love that. Um but yeah, I would like to read this one. Okay. Wow. Well, and uh, the next play that I read um uh, was I decided to pick up old Ibsen, not Gorgon, old Ibsen. And I've always obviously everyone talks about it the whole time, but um they always talk about Hendrik Ibsen, the Norwegian playwright from the late 19th century and um, August Strindberg the from the same time period, Swedish playwright, uh, who is slightly less known now. And the thing is, I, I love Strindberg as an 18 year old and I almost, <laughs> I almost maybe judged um, Ibsen without reading because I thought, no, I, lo- I love Strindberg so much. And Strindberg really didn't like Ibsen. So I thought, well, there must be a reason for that. So I didn't read Ibsen. It turns out Strindberg must have been massively jealous because possibly <laughs> Ibsen might be slightly superior than Strindberg. I'm right. sorry, but I do love Strindberg, so I don't want to say superior, but I think it maybe moved me even more his plays. So I got a, um, I had a lot of plays in in Dublin where I was staying at because my aunt is in a the theater as well, so she's had a big selection of Ibsen plays, and the first one I read was Peer Gint, or Pier Gunt, as it's would say in Norwegian. And it's one of his early plays. It's not, it's not realism. He never really got into proper realism. And it's not naturalism, which is what he's famous for, naturalism being realism, but showing the dark sides of realism, like really showing the dark side of prostitution, incest, um, whatever, whatever you have, uh, veneer diseases. That's what naturalism is. Um, so I read Pierre Gunt, was it before that? Mm-hmm. And Pierre Gunt is a very poetical, Really romantic drama written originally in verse, so it wasn't even fashionable for the time period. It was 1860s. It was already it was almost outdated already because Romanticism finished around that time. Before that, sorry. And realism was already in trend, so he was almost like an outdated playwright giving it his big shot. But I got to tell you, Pierre Gynt might be one of the my favorite plays ever. Wow! It is absolutely amazing. It is a huge big play it's it's so Perrigant is a play about Perrigant who's a basically kind of a farmer farmer's boy lad his dad kind of ran away he lives with his mom who's frustrated deeply with him because, because all Perrigant does is tell stories very kind of he's a very good storyteller they might be fantastic but they, he manages to get away with it no matter how fantastic they are so that is one good thing he's a competent storyteller but he's never telling the truth. And the whole village starts really disliking him and going against him. And almost as a kind of a re- revenge, he does something at the end of the first act, which is to, um, to escape with a, with a young girl who's about to get married. Only because he knows that she truly loves him, but has to marry this other person. And possibly because he just wants to do something that will ultimately really annoy everyone in the village and make him the romantic hero he so thrives to be. So it's a play about romanticism, criticizing romanticism, ultimately, ultimately meaning it's not a romantic play because he's an anti-hero. Yeah. And at the beginning of the next act, he basically lets the girl go. He says, I'm not in love with you. And he kind of walks up the mountains and she's heartbroken. And you really don't like her Gains because he's, he's being a bit of a, not a very nice chap. Um, the rest of the play becomes very surrealist almost. So it really becomes very, it becomes really modern the expression expressionist, surrealist. And you're kind of left wondering, wow, this play must have been written in the 1920s or something, but it was written in, in, the, in the 1860s. And Pierre Gins, he meets trolls and if it's, if it's reality, because he seemed to have hurt his head at one point and fainted. So when he wakes up, you're not sure if it's reality. But he seems to have um, met trolls and a beautiful woman that he immediately becomes very infatuated in, in a very, I suppose, in a very sexual way. To be honest, like he really, he really is attracted to her. He follows her, and it turns out that she's the daughter of this troll king. So trolls are very, are very important Norwegian folkloric creatures. Mm-hmm. Sure, and he kind of. <laughs> He kind of gets arranged to mar- be, be married to this beautiful girl, who turns out not to be very beautiful at, at all. As soon as the magic spell is broken, and he sees that she's actually kind of a kind of a pig, so that's what I like about this play. It's very it's very surreal. It's very it's very ahead of its time. It's very visual. I, I do love this fairy tale. You know me, I love these all these fairy tale figures.
0: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it,
1: it, it becomes very tragic because he actually he somehow gets her pregnant, even though there's no scene in it at all that indicates oh, wow. that, yeah, he he gets her pregnant, so that's the whole kind of nature of the whole play, it's very kind of, is this a dream or not, because at what point did anything of this happen? But he gets her pregnant, and and he kind of, he gets a troll child, but he kind of immediately forgets about it, escapes, he barely manages to escape, and uh, he kind of just puts it a, a, um, away from his mind that he ever got a troll child, or that he ever got her pregnant, um, so yes so now he's living in act he's living in seclusion and he's living far away from everyone he's not allowed to go back to the town because they would basically massacre him about for having kind of essentially kidnapped the first girl in the first act so he's living a hermit's life and um, the thing is another woman appears who he actually genuinely likes it's the only woman he likes in the play truly right and she appears because she's fallen in love with him and she decides to live with him. And he says, "Wow, well, I, was, I was never expecting this. I didn't think I was a good enough person because he seemed a truly innocent being. And um, yeah, it seems all very rosy, doesn't it, Dean? Do you think that's the end of the play?
0: Well, I'm sure it's not. Um, I'm sure you're going to tell me it all goes horribly wrong again or something. But It
1: goes horribly wrong because the thing is immediately, <laughs> as this woman appears, it seems to be... It's an old, an older woman with a very ugly child. As described in the play, just as an ugly child, li- <laughs> seems to have built a house behind his new built house. Very surreal, and it's actually the, it's actually the kind of the witch kind of troll figure, and she's being she's now living literally behind his house, and she has their child, and he's got, and she's going to threaten like she's blackmailing him that she's going to tell this woman about, about other, you know about his. Illeg- illeg- illegitimate child, sure. and the tragedy is, Dean. The tragedy is, you do realize as a reader that the the woman is so nice that he tr- truly loves, that you're actually pretty positive that nothing bad will happen. It's implied in the play that nothing bad okay. will happen at all. Really? But he, yeah, yeah. But he himself doubts himself, and that's a very important part of the plot. He doubts that he is good enough for any of this, and he's he basically punishes himself. By leaving the one chance he has for true happiness, and by going out into the world, um, and he's, he's basically punishing himself. He's, he's making himself again an uh, um, a nomad, an outsider. And this is where it becomes very interesting. I won't say too much more about the story. He basically just travels the world and has incredible, fantastic scenarios that are very almost Alice in Wonderland esque. <laughs> Um, but it's basically, he talks, starts talking about, becomes very philosophical, phos- and we t- he talks about the self. And this is a very Kierkegaard, a very Scandinavian existentialist idea at the time in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s. Mm-hmm. What, what is the self? And he starts now, questioning. PJ, when
0: you mention Kierkegaard, it makes me uh, tremble
1: it should make you tremble see what i did there that's that's very good that's very good (laughs) so guys for those of you don't know he Kierkegaard was someone who talked about the trembling the fear of god the fear of what you truly are yourself who are you he's basically a proto-existentialist and scandinavian plays especially ibsen were very influenced by his ideas and the play i won't tell too much about the plot i hope that got you interested but the play is then about him starting to question who the Ibsen, sorry, who the Gint self is, who is pure Gint. And truly the last scene where he's entering death's realm, it becomes very interesting. He, um, without spoiling anything, but there, there is a small dilemma in the fact that pure does not mind dying as long as his self goes to heaven. The thing is, support. The thing is that he has a discussion with death. I uh, was spoiling what happens, but he has a discussion with death, and death seems to think that Purgant never lived his true self. That he was always escaping,
0: mm-hmm.
1: meaning that he will recycle his soul and turn it in, and tear it into pieces and just put it into the big mishmash of recycled souls, and that truly terrifies Purgant because he realizes he might never have lived his true potential. Sure. That's what I find very deep about the play that you that you might not live your true potential that you're all recycled um, material at the end. So if this if this, my explanation sounds very surreal, it is very surreal, but it's the ultimate play about the horror of not living your true self. And the last scene of the play might be one of the most powerful scenes ever ever written in plays and in novels in, uh, in poetry. It's it's absolutely amazing and and spellbinding. I truly recommend it. It's
0: okay. Absolutely I must amazing. give it a try. It, 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 you've got me really uh, hooked on this one.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I think I've talked about it a bit too long, maybe perhaps, but it's just because I find it so so deep, so amazing, the, the philosophical and the, and also the narrative, and and it's and and, and it's, my God, it's like Doctor Faustus or like Goethe's Faust in the sense that it has so many scenes. That mm-hmm. it wasn't intended to be performed, actually. He actually didn't intend it to be performed because it would be very difficult. It has about twenty twenty scenes or plus around the world with different. There's a scene in it where they're in the Sahara Desert was very surreal as well. And this is what I find interesting because he's actually truly letting his imagination fly because he's not thinking about the practicality of performing it. Mm-hmm. So was which, which is amazing. I, I love that. Oh.
0: PJ, I'm going to shock you with my next one, because um, shock horror, I read uh oh. Dumas. No, you! Yeah, I know, right? You'd never think it. But the real shock is, I didn't like it. What? I finally a found a Dumas I didn't like. Now... <sighs> I don't know what's happening with Dumas because, again, the confusion. The book I read, I, I picked it up at a, at a, for a euro in, in a big bin full of books in a, in a fair in Spain in a warehouse or something called. It's called La hija del Marques, so the marquis's daughter. Mm. Huh. And I could not find reference to this book anywhere online. I was finding the regent's daughter. Turns out that's not the same book. And I was thinking, what is this book? Why can't I find it, like, in his bibliography? Like, what am, what am I reading again? And it yeah. turns out that this is the second half. Of another book, oh, so no. the book altogether is called Creation and Redemption, and someone at some point split it in two and released it into two volumes. So did so,
1: you read the second part?
0: Yes, part first? because I didn't know. So the first, it doesn't say anywhere part two of Creation and Redemption. It just says here's a book called Hija del Marques. So okay. the first part's about a doctor. Um, And the doctor is is in the second half, but it it really, it didn't help my understanding. You know, I'm reading in a second language. I have no idea what the first half of the story is. (laughs) And in the volume I had, three quarters, no joke, three quarters of it is taken up with a written narrative. So what happens is there's a few short chapters at the beginning. And then she says, I'll tell you what happened. Just three quarters of like exposition in the past. And then a couple of chapters to wrap it up at the end. So, like, really only the first and last bit of the book were a book, were story. The rest is just a manuscript of, like, here's just filling in the plot holes. Like, it really wasn't good.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. I'm very sorry to hear that. So
0: the main characters are Eva and Jacques. Um, What happens is Eva, um, they, they had been in love, but they were separated, and... What little I could actually divine from the plot here, essentially Jacques comes to her and says like, why are you, you know, you're, you're here, you're with another man and things like that. Just when well, I thought you were dead. And it turns out that they'd gotten separated. It's, it's obviously it's set in, uh, in Paris again, there was revolution, all this kind of stuff. Eva almost got executed herself. So there's all this kind of stuff. She th- assumes that he's dead. She hasn't seen him in years and he's like, no, I'm alive. And you'd think, well, now they're back together. It's easy no he's incredibly cold-hearted um and he's just like no well this isn't good enough
1: <laughs> so
0: uh-huh. he's kind of an ass and then she is just super in love with him and like at one point they're in a she's like you know if you don't want me anymore just cast me aside kill me like i'm at your mercy you know uh, just Ugh. use me as you want me and then throw me away when you're finished And they go along in a carriage and he's sitting on the carriage and she's lying on the floor, clasping his knees like the whole journey of the carriage. Like she is so depressingly subservient to him to to the point of ridiculousness. Um, And then there's just this massive, massive manuscript where they just explain how she got separated from him in the first place and all this kind of backstory. And then, and then we go to skip to the end. There's, There's very little story. Um, but he also recycles a plot line from one of the other books where eventually he takes her to a wedding and she doesn't realize it's her wedding because he's still being mean and cruel to her the whole time. And it turns out they are going to get married. It's somehow that makes it all fine, you know. Um, so it's not the easiest thing to read. And it's also not the most enjoyable. But just her level of I mean, at one point they lay the table for food and she says, why is the table only laid for one? And she says, well, I didn't think I was good enough to eat with you. You know, and it's like, oh, come on. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like that level is ridiculous, you know.
1: Doesn't sound like the Dumas book I'd like to be it's reading. It's
0: definitely not. I mean, of all the Dumas that I've read, it's the first one I haven't liked. And oh, I have no. to be honest. I love all the Three Musketeers stuff. I love the Kind of Monte Cristo. I enjoyed the Black Tulip there last time. This was not good. Oh, no. For Maybe if I'd read part one it would have informed part two a little bit better. And I would have known what was going on. Presumably Jacques was the doctor. You know, maybe, maybe if I knew a bit more of the, of the backstory and I wasn't starting halfway through, maybe that would have helped. Like, it's not its not fair of me to kind of dismiss it, having only read part two. But really, this wasn't good. Oh, no. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that.
1: Uh, but to be fair now, you have got a lot of new books to read, especially from the time in County Clare. So maybe the next ones. And uh, I'm expecting going to read another one for me. I think a there'll be here. another,
0: yeah. There'll be a Dumas, there'll be a Balzac, all the usual, um, you know. Stuff. Why do we so- just
1: call this the Dumas, Balzac and some other, like, you know, just some other
0: authors not worthy mentioning? <laughs> we we'll
1: just call it that.
0: Because this is my last month in the library, I've taken out three Balzacs. Now I'm not going to do them all in the next episode. That'd be crazy. But um I met Alex last night at the cafe, and he was like, "Oh my god, are you can do all these Dumas on the next episode of Books Boys." I said, "No, I'll just return them late. It's fine. I'll split them up over <laughs> two late. months." You yeah. <laughs> know. <laughs> oh my god. So well, yeah, anyway. look, I don't have a lot to say about this one because out of 350 pages, oh, like no. 250 of them are just manuscript. So. There's really very little to go on and what was there wasn't great and was I didn't know the beginning. So like I didn't like it. That's all I can really say about this one.
1: Oh no, so very disappointing. Um even if you're even if you're a fan of Dumas, so you're
0: saying it's not really worth reading. Oh no. I don't think so, to be honest. I would I would I would give this one a miss. There's plenty of great Dumas. This should not be on your to, to you know to read list.
1: Well, what about the next quote? You might recognize this. You have never loved me. You have only you have only thought it pleasant to be in love with me.
0: Oh no, we're back in the doll's house.
1: We're back in the doll's house. This is Henry Gibson back again. And this is something the Playboys read. So we got an episode all about the doll's house. And um, it's on um, Patreon. Um, now, I-, I love it. Um, it's very different. After Pierre Gintz, Ibsen decides to let go of drama in, um, in verse and starts writing drama in prose. And in fact, it changes completely because it only has one scene in it the whole time. So that's already one aspect of naturalism. So just taking one scene in drama, Uh, Strindberg does the same with Miss Julie around the same time period, a bit afterwards. And um, it's set in one scene and it's basically just, um, yeah, it's set sets throughout Christmas, so a few days. So again, very, very realistic enough naturalistic, and it depicts naturalistic traits, which are uh, basically, uh, but not not betrayal. Uh, well, yeah, betrayal would say, but also what goes on financially <laughs> with people who seem very rich, but maybe one of them did a shady deal, and uh, that's essentially it. And it talks about veneer disease very indirectly. It does it. It's more explicit in his later plays, but it there is a doctor in it who's implied that he's got a venereal disease from his own father and that was a huge i was reading about that was it that was the ultimate uh scandalous thing to talk about at the time well, yeah i would have thought so but even a lot more than now but this is just like the ultimate thing um so yeah we maybe we won't get too, too too much in it dean right because we did a whole episode about yeah yeah it, um, we've got a, a full hour
0: and 10 minutes on it so
1: so uh but it's essentially about um essentially about a character called Nora who helps her husband, who's in a lot of depth, um, become an established member of society only by making herself be in in a lot of depth. But no one knows about this except her, one, two other people. And it's essentially about during Christmas period, um, events happen that might lead to her husband finding out about her having borrowed so much money. And he works in the bank, so it'll be a big double scandal. And she's worried that she might have to commit suicide because it's he implies the whole time that he would never have anything to do with such horrible uh, figures, and um, they would never have a mother who who would lie. And it's essentially about. I, that. I should say, guys, because you've never heard us
0: like we've disagreed on one or two things, minor, yeah. But like, if you want to listen to the episode, the three we 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 really debated on the end here. We spent a good half hour because we we massively disagreed on how the play ended. Um. You and Alex were more or less of a similar opinion. I was quite yeah. of a dissenting opinion. So uh, it's interesting to listen to, maybe slightly chaotic, more chaotic than the usual Shakespeare wow. review. But um, it's, it's one that might be interesting to check out. I
1: thought it was good. I, I, if I may say something, you were a bit worried that it was maybe a bit too emotional and chaotic. Uh, I think that's the whole point. <laughs> this is one of the most scandalous plays ever performed at the time. And it led to a huge amount of discussion in Norway and outside it. And the fact that we perhaps um uh were very civil, but I think we you know it was quite passionate debate, very philosophical. It was all about the ending, which we mm-hmm. can't tell. But um essentially that's all we're mentioning about it. Um I do want to mention the next play that I read, which was Ghosts, which is basically a spiritual follow-up of Adult's House, which made Dean not want to read it. Uh, <laughs> because because it's it's so yeah, because it's so um dark, I suppose. It has similar uh, themes in it, except the venereal disease becomes a bigger issue. Right. Um includes the um the falsity of of religion. Incest becomes a huge thing. There are two siblings in it. Flowers and the attic
0: type stuff here. Flowers
1: and flower in the attic type stuff. It, it truly is. Yes, and euthanasia, which was something wow. that I don't think was ever mentioned before. See,
0: um, I, I can't cope with dark themes, BJ. I just need a Dumas style romance, and that's that's all I can cope with, you know? <laughs> well that's why I find interesting about
1: Ibsen because Pyrigin is not at all like that. It's 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 there it has some philosophical issues, but like Ibsen seems to be really deeply upset with society and it seems to go one step ahead with ghosts, and really it's about a young artist coming back to his mother's home and as um her mother's the mother, the father died, but there's something wrong with the artist. He's sick, and I can't say why he's sick, but you might guess what is wrong with him. I just mentioned it, and the dilemma is that the husband seems to have um, had a very immoral, immoral life, and uh, has had sex with one of the maids, who's given a daughter, who's essentially the maid. Um, right. that's actually spoiling, perhaps, one or two things about, but I think that's the whole point of the, the play. Is um there seems to be a lot of siblings falling in love who don't know their siblings and dying of venereal diseases? And yes, and it's called Ghosts because she's worried that the brother is going to have sex with his sister because she's worried that this ghost, she's worried that the artist who looks like her husband. Is going to have sex with the maids so it's kind of like mm-hmm. history again telling itself i don't want to mention too much about the play because that's that's it and we but have it's a spiritual it. sequel
0: right like it's there's no exactly. overlap with characters or anything
1: not at all and there are a few plays i think written between that but it's very it's all almost as if the end of dots House, you know what the ending is? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is like 10 years later, all right, and she's now, because she is the, char- the main character, it's the very feminist characters, Ibsen's, um, but only really at the end of a House. And now the main character of the widow, Miss Helen Alving from Ghost, is a really feminist character. But the thing is, the mistakes she did as a younger woman have led to some serious difficulties now. And it seems to Im- implicate that the, if anything, a woman should be a feminist early on, because if you leave it too late, your children might also be suffering from dire consequences. Mm. And essentially, everyone's life is absolutely ruined at the end of the play. Absolutely. Oh. Devastating ruin. It's it's, it's, wor- it's it's more dramatic than Shakespeare. This is like truly... The ending is the most vicious scene since A Reckon for a Dream. And I'm not sure if anyone should see that film, but that's a very vicious scene. And this is, this is truly... It, it goes close to that level of Ah come on, you can't do this, and it was such a big scandal time again, it was such a big scandal that I believe um he, Ibsen had an intro this is just maybe folklore kind of legend, but Ibsen had a dinner um had dinner with the king of Sweden and Norway, and the king told um him that ghost was wasn't a good play say so, I I'm imagine the king like signing going to Ibsen saying Ibsen pur. Purgend- I like that. Ghosts. <sighs> Not a good play. Give it a better try. And then supposedly Ibsen tried to retain himself until he exploded and said, Your Majesty, I had to write ghosts. <laughs> and I like that story because the whole point is, I think yeah, you had to write ghosts because this was happening all over the world and no one ever wrote about venereal disease or the possibility of euthanasia. Someone was suffering by the one of the characters he really wants to die because he's he's in pain. And it's like one of the characters left in dilemma, well, can 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 this can this character kill this other character? No, so it's um it's a it's again, it's a it's a it's a play about morality, and as Nietzsche would say, dead, dead morality, you know. So um I mean there's a reason why these characters appear like Nietzsche and Kierkegaard and Ibsen and Strindberg, who all criticize society around the end of mm-hmm. the 19th century, it's really become outdated, it's time to Time to create new values that are just better for society without all this pain. Okay. So that's um that's ghosts. Highly recommend it. PJ, you've uh, read some dark Hitler.
0: stuff. We need we need to do we need an intervention? <laughs> do you want me to send you some more Dr. Seuss? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we reviewed a lot of Dr. Seuss, didn't we? Um, <laughs> to be fair, I did actually read a Dr. Seuss book uh, as well to lighten things up. God Good. Lord, I did read a lot. I think you need so, it. <laughs> I think I need, now, the, to be fair, now the next two things I'm going to review are, are a lot lighter. So oh, okay, good,
0: good, Well, the next one I did again. This is going to be pretty brief because um, this one isn't. Well, because it, it's not. It's not a book. It is a book. It's not a novel. So I read by Robin Raven, uh, the Kindness Workbook. So Robin was mm. kind enough. There's a little pamphlet there. She was kind enough to send me oh, a girl. copy of this, and along with like, there's a nice little bookmark and a couple of bits and pieces. Um, and that was very, very kind of her. She is an author, you know, so this is a workbook rather than a novel, but she has written other books mm. before, particularly uh, children's books about kindness. Santa's first vegan Christmas uh, was the one that I can remember offhand. So She mm. has written things like this. Um, and it's, you know, she does like to teach um, children about kindness. This one is for adults though. And this is, as I say, not a novel, but a workbook. So it's it's split you're not supposed to sit down and read this in two days or something. It's Mm -hmm. exercises to do maybe one a day, something like that ongoing. And some of them might say, you know, over the next couple of days, do this thing. And Uh so it it is something to do a few minutes each day as an ongoing exercise. Um, Uh But part one is about being kind to yourself. And part two is about being kind to others. Okay. And as is a series of exercises, sometimes you have to draw things, sometimes you have to go out and do things, sometimes you just have to maybe question your values, think about, are you being too hard on yourself, talking about empathy, there's some meditation um, mentioned in there, just giving yourself a break, all this kind of stuff, what are your goals in life, yeah. And then focusing on others, you know, your relationships, because you've got to be kind to yourself before you can be kind to others, I guess. So that's why it's structured this way, you know? I see, yeah, of course. And maybe you've got to do a flowchart of like, what is it to make, you know, to do good actions and design your kindness coat of arms? Just different Mm. things to get you thinking about the types of values, the type of person you want to be, and how you can be happier essentially by living a life filled with kindness, both for yourself and for the people around you. Um, Mm. And I think it's quite good. I think it's a really helpful thing, especially for someone that maybe feels they need a bit more kindness in their life. Um, this is yeah. something I think that would help a lot of people.
1: Definitely. Yeah. It sounds very useful. Wow.
0: And that's it. I mean, there's one move past the bystander syndrome, this idea of something happening and we kind of freeze and we, we don't really want to get involved, you know, well, mm. go do it, help someone, you know, just things like oh. this. But as I say, each, each day there's a little thing you fill in a little bit of the workbook, you do a little exercise you have to think about the, you know, the both sides of an argument or how could you help someone in, in, in a certain situation? Um, well, you it's... know it, it's just help, you know, nice memories, even kindness, bingo, there's lots of different things in there just to get you thinking and, and get, uh, just increase the levels of kindness in the world. So very utilitarian oh. book in that sense, you know, it's about increasing the overall kind of goodness in the world.
1: Well, I love the idea. I mean, if everyone studied at school, for example, you have better individuals. So it's the kind of thing that's needed. It reminds me a bit of the Tao Te Ching as well, where he meditates on on specific verses. That's good. I like it.
0: Yeah, so that was great. And thanks very much to Robin for, for passing that one on to me. Hmm. I'm just going to pass the, the books that I've read back over to little Alfred. He's, he's here with us. And we oh. can pop them away back on the shelf. He's there you go. He
1: might, might be a bit lazy.
0: <laughs> well, PJ, back to you, I guess
1: back to me then uh hold on a second dean if you don't mind just give me we we pause here all right dude
0: okay but i think pj before we get back to you i'm just gonna reiterate and yeah. um, guys we mentioned our patreon.com slash books get all the other yeah. shows but we have other things you can do so if you go to booksboys.com you get links to all our different projects um, and yeah. for example there's a link to pj's uh project with his partner elisa the holy wholesome life there's a link to our spotify where you can get some of the music that we've made and um, so there's, there's a lot of different things to explore mm. on there um, and you know, even better than well not better because we do want well, you know, on patreon but what you can also do to help us is just spread the word you know tell other people to listen to the the books boys we're here getting it buying it and booking it you know
1: uh, the kids where the cool kids hang out you know that kind of thing I've been working my, my it's books. Kind, Boys it's a kind stuff.
0: thing to do. <laughs> it is. I've been walking around town today with my booksboys.com t shirts just just as a walking billboard, you know? Because that's what the cool kids do anyway, right? It is. So. The cool kids, they love um, advertising and capitalism, but then we're no one. So it's capitalism because it's advertising, but no one makes any money. So I don't know how that works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. And we talked about some other t shirts because the phrase, is this a holiday, has become quite. The, the latest thing with Shakespearean.
0: Uh, I'll um, have to have a look. yeah. And, so on, uh, on Patreon, guys, you can get a books boys T shirt. But as PJ says, I'm gonna have a look and see if we can add an alternative option. And is this a holiday T shirt?
1: Well, make it make it a thing, guys. You know, it, it's it's the masses that make the things happen, right? So like, if everyone gets to get into.
0: That's it. it. That's it. No, that's grand. And you know, the other thing you can do is follow us on the social media. Do you know we hit a thousand followers on Instagram uh, just a couple of days ago? Wow. Okay. From yeah, they seem to like the again the um,
1: <laughs> references <laughs> a lot.
0: Yeah, we did a lot of videos. So when we were in the beach and in the the forest, we did lots of photos and lots of videos. And those videos are all getting you know twenty thousand views and things on Instagram. They're becoming very popular. <laughs> so <laughs> no. Just ask, you know, is this a holiday in in various exotic <laughs> look
1: look? At it. Late in lie, actually just because I'm afraid the next thing I read wasn't really much lighter. Oh no! <laughs> and seeing that you're such a big fan of comics, Dean, I, I decided to uh, to mention it. It's called Hans. Hans is um, belongs to the Franco-Belgian school of comics, which I often mention, and Dean seems to have no respect about it whatsoever. <laughs> Shame on him! Shame on him! But it's basically the guys who did Tintin and Lucky Luke and uh, the, uh, the Smurfs, all that kind of stuff. Classic, non-Disney, um the alternative to Disney, and europe I suppose. And this comic was um created by uh, grzegorz Rosinski, who did the drawing. Who's a famous Polish artist as well. Uh, and also written by Andre Paul, famous for the Torgau series later on in the in the uh, before i think in the seventies but this comic came out in nineteen eighty and I just want to briefly mention that it's a it's a beautiful comic beautifully written beautifully crafted and i, I, I read it in Polish because it's not released in english oh right so again I'm afraid i'm like once again once again advertising for something that's never been released in English. I think people think we're uh, awfully
0: pretentious because we're recommending <laughs> books they can't read, you know?
1: Well, <laughs> No, it's just, it's a great comic. If you read in other languages, in the original French, yeah, okay. And I, I, I seem to be making it worse with the pretentious. I'm telling them to read in French. Um, <laughs> so, again, but it's a great comic, even just by looking at the pictures. It's set in an alternative future. Alternative future? Jesus. It might actually happen in the future. It's sets in around the 2020s, I think. And it starts off with a place called, simply, The Place. It's literally, that's the beginning of the comic. It says, The Place, known simply as The Place. Right. And known uh, because it's known in, this time's, because it was known in this time as the last colony of people. I'm just translating it here a bit. And um, it starts off with The Place, which is a very kind of, looks just like a small mountain. Um and basically they 're just kind of living there in this kind of like kind of being distracted by entertainment and by circus a lot, and they just they don 't seem to be doing much anything apart from just enjoying this rubbish kind of entertainments crew kind of uh gladiator like entertainment because the slaves are basically people anyone who's living outside the place has no rights it 's not a... so it 's very much divided if anyone living on this little mountain called the place and everyone who lives outside who doesn't want to conform to the rules and these are just people who are there uh, to be captured, to be used in kind of circus gladiator events and to kill each other off so I'm afraid guys, yeah, maybe not the lightest read um, no, you, and it starts just there, you see yes, I'm afraid, well was the comic I suppose, right, it starts up with a, a chap called um, Hans, called in the Polish version Jans, and he's just he appears in the middle of the desert, and all he can say is, my name is Jans, my name is Jans. And he has, he's suffering from amnesia, and he doesn't know how he appeared. Yet the clothes he's wearing is from the late 90s. Uh-huh. Bearing in mind, this was written in the 80s, though. So literally, it's, it's, it's kind of already, it, it has, <laughs> there, there, are, there, are, there are about three time periods in this comic on a future. And essentially, he's, he's suffering from amnesia, and he's being tested, and you know, they're very confused where where he comes from, why is why is closed? There is no there's no such thing as time travel. That doesn't exist. So they're just very confused because they're living in this world that's post-apocalyptic. Dinosaurs have have been born again. They they've did some biological mistakes, and now they're like big creatures kind of eating human beings. And I this might sound very cheesy, but I think I think it's just great. And they essentially go back to the place where they found him dilemma is there's a dinosaur there that attacks and, and, and Jans or Hans defends himself very skillfully and attacks the dinosaur in the only vulnerable place it could be attacked. And because of this, the two soldiers accompanying him think he's a spy because they're wondering how did he know this? Because that's only classified information. And they want to attack them, attack him. But before they attack him, they get attacked themselves by non-citizens, by people living outside. And basically, these non-citizens they save Hans, and he begins to live with kind of the tribe, and it's very kind of, um, it's very kind of like Bronze Age esque kind of culture, I suppose. And he falls in love with Orchidea, is her name in the Polish version, or Orchid, sure. and they fall in love. And the thing is that he gets recaptured, he gets betrayed by one of the members. And when he's back at the place, he he realizes that when he goes to one of these circus events, that Orchid has also been captured. So he decides to save her, and they both escape from the place together. And without spoiling too much, um, there's some weird things happening then because they act, they end they try to look for the sun, which is being hidden away. And when they reach the place where they think the sun is, they end up in the place where. Place controlled by robots that basically con- that take possession of their bodies. And so it's have- getting a bit sci fi
0: a bit crazy? It, it, it's, it's,
1: yes, and the illustrations become very sort of like, is this the cover of uh, some kind of Beatles hippie mm. album that was well, PJ, was- if there's
0: one thing I love more than comic books, it's sci fi and robots, you know? So. <laughs>
1: well, it just, it, it's great, basically, because the whole comic is just about them escaping and trying to find some place <laughs> where they're not going to be captured and he falls in love with our kids. And the thing is, he, he begins to recapture his memory. And it turns out that he was a historian from the future, time traveling for research. And so he comes from the future, time traveling for research. And it's unclear though why he's got these. So you're left with some confusion at the end. Okay. And um, I know it's very random. Just mention this comic, but I just highly recommend it. I'm going to send a picture later of it. And I think for those of you interested, this is this is a great unusual find. Okay,
0: sounds uh, interesting. It's it sounds, at least it's something that people won't have already heard of, which is good, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's called Passenger from the Future. It's called, and uh, it's it's just a great story. It's not. I was surprised how kind of detailed it was. You know, this is not at all a kids' comic book. This is
0: just it, it's too dark. I, ch- if you'd like to sign up for patreon and get us some money, I will put together a care package of happy children's books and I will send them to p j um, <laughs> very dark uh, things this month and I am worried
1: <laughs> so anyway guys so check it out uh yant or hans uh great comic book
0: cool that sounds that's, that that's good <laughs> okay okay